Herman and Mary were right along in the car, and Herman looked over, or Mary looked over at Herman, and she said, Herman, if it wasn't for my money, we wouldn't have this new car. Herman didn't say anything. They drove along, pulled up in the driveway of the house, stopped and gazed up at their house, and Mary said, Herman, if it wasn't for my money, we wouldn't have this new house. Herman didn't say anything. They walked inside just as the delivery men were leaving. They had installed new carpet and put new furniture in the house. And Mary looked at Herman and said, Herman, if it wasn't for my money, we wouldn't have all this new furniture and new carpet. They sat down on the furniture. They turned on the new TV, which was sitting in the new entertainment center. And Mary once again said, Herman, if it wasn't for my money, we wouldn't have this new TV. Herman couldn't take it anymore. Finally, he said, Mary, if it wasn't for your money, I wouldn't be here either. Why are you here? What motivates you to be here? You know, different things can motivate different people to do different things. Why are you here? I preached a sermon about this same topic years ago. Uh, we were visiting a church. I was filling in for a preacher that was on vacation. I was in Bible college, and I asked the question. I started my sermon, why are we here? My son MJ was about three years old, sitting on Jeanette's lap at the back of the church. He jumped up on the pew and said, I don't know why. Uh, why are we here? Why are you here. We're continuing our series today called Basics of the Faith, and today we're going to talk about worship. And I hope that one of the main reasons, maybe not the only reason, but one of the main reasons that you came here today was to worship. So that's what we're going to think about today. We're going to think about this idea of worship. Now we raise the question, what is important about worship. What is important about worship? I heard about an uh, elementary school teacher who asked the kids if they would bring something from, to school. They were in social studies. They were studying world religions. She said, bring something that portrays the worship of your family. And so all the kids brought something for show and tell. Uh, one little kid, he's a Muslim child, and he brought a uh, prayer rug. And he said, you know, this is my prayer rug. My family prays down on their knees three times a day at certain times. Uh, another little boy was Jewish. He brought a star of David and a little emblem that he hung around his neck. And that represents his faith. Uh, another uh, a little girl brought her rosary. That is uh, beads. The Catholics use these in a certain kind of prayer they do. And then the last little child... It was a little boy, and he get up and he said, I'm from the Christian church, and this is my casserole dish. And, you know, uh, I was just reminded of how we worship sometimes around the table uh, last week when we had our picnic, and we had a lot of these casserole dishes uh, sitting on the table, and uh, in some ways that represents our worship. So we're, we're going to think about this idea of worship today, and hopefully we can enhance our worship as we study the scriptures and see what it has to 
say about worship. Now, there are all kinds of definitions of worship. Somebody said to express reverence or adoration for God. Uh, others have said uh, to serve God. Worship means to serve God. It means to bow down to Him or to hold Him in high esteem. To perform rituals, uh, one definition said, uh, in, in honor of God. To show God in high regard. In the Christian sense, I think the best definition of worship that I've ever heard is simply this, to express love to God. And you can express your love to God in many ways. Today we're going to go to John chapter 4, and we're going to look at a passage of Scripture. Of course, John is one of four Gospels that portray the life of Jesus. Uh, John is a little different than the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Luke, it really focuses on the deeper meaning of Christ's life. And there are a lot of themes in the book of John, and one of those is worship. And today we're going to see some words that Jesus had to say, a teaching that he gave about worship. And it's one of the famous stories of the Bible. You know it as the woman at the well. And um, Jesus visits this town in Samaria. Now, this is unusual for a Jewish person, remember Jesus was born Jewish, to go into Samaria. They had gone there once before with his disciples, and Luke chapter 9 records that while they were there, they were rejected. They weren't welcomed into the town. And his disciples even came to Jesus and said, you want us to call fire down from heaven on these people? And Jesus said, no, 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 let's don't do that. And maybe because he knew he was going to go back. But in the text we read today, it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. Usually when uh, people who were Jewish were traveling north, they would go down and cross uh, the Jordan River so they wouldn't have to go through Samaria. They would go north up on the other side of the Jordan and then cross over if they were going to Galilee. And that's where Jesus was going, into Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria, it says. He stops at this little town called Sychar. And there in Sychar, there's a famous well. It was famous to the, to the Jews and to the Samaritans because Jacob had dug this well, apparently, and it was called Jacob's Well. And Jesus sits down. His disciples go into town to buy food. And Jesus is tired, it says. It's about noon. It's hot. They're in the heat of the day. And a woman comes to the well, a Samaritan woman. Now, you've got to understand the times uh, that they lived in. Uh, Jews and Samaritans, they basically hated each other. Okay, they didn't want anything to do. You see, Samaria came about because uh, back after Solomon, King David's son, died, the nation of Israel divided into two nations. It was Israel to the north and Judah to the south. And they each had their own king. And Israel, the northern kingdom, uh, eventually was overrun by the Syrians. And eventually it became known as Samaria. And the Jewish people that lived there didn't follow God as closely. In fact, they intermarried with some of the pagan people. And they wound up developing a religion. They still believed in the first five books of the Bible. But they didn't use the rest of the Bible and, and they became their own religion separate from the religion of the Jewish people, God's people. 
They built their own temple on Mount Gerizim, whereas the Jewish people had their temple in Jerusalem, and that's where they worshiped. And so Jesus is in this town. He meets this Samaritan woman. And as he looks up and sees her coming, he says, Woman, can you give me a drink? Give me a drink of water, simple tap. She says, "How How can you, a Jewish man, ask me, a Samaritan woman? No Jewish man in his right mind is going to ask a Samaritan woman for a drink of water. But Jesus does. He said, look, I'm going to put this in East Tennessee. Look, lady, if you knew who was asking you, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Now, Jesus is turning the conversation to a spiritual one. And the woman said, well, you don't even have anything to draw water with. I can hear her putting her hands on her hips. You don't have anything to draw water with. You ain't drinking out of my cup. And Jesus says, listen. Uh, if, if you knew who you were talking to, you would have asked him, and he would have given you this living water. Then she says this, Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well? And Jesus says to her, Everyone who drinks of this water, pointing to the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, she's thinking in a physical sense. Jesus is talking in a spiritual sense. The woman said to her, Sir, give me this water so I won't have to come to this well anymore. You know, it's an interesting thing that she's there at noon anyway. Because the women usually gathered early in the morning, first thing. They all helped each other draw water, took back to their village, back to their homes. But this woman is here at noon in the heat of the day, by herself, drawing water to take back to her family. That's interesting. Maybe we get a clue as we look forward. He told her, Jesus told her, woman, go and bring your husband back. And she said, well, I can imagine she hung her head and said, I don't, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you are correct, you don't have a husband. In fact, you have had five husbands, and the man you live with now is not your husband. Jesus is calling her out on her sin, the sin in her life, living with this man outside of marriage. And in fact, she's had five husbands. It indicates that there's some relationship problems on her part. Maybe that's why she's at the well all by herself at noon because she doesn't want to hang out with the other women. Maybe they ridicule her. Maybe they've rejected her. Maybe she's embarrassed to be around all the good married women that are there fellowshipping and drawing water, and she's not part of their inner circle, so she just waits till noon when she knows nobody's going to be there except this day she met a special man. Listen to what she says in verse 19. Sir, the woman said, 
I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now, I want you to let this resonate for just a minute, and I want you to think about it for just a minute. What she's saying has a lot to do with how she views worship. This woman who just had her sin pointed out to her, called by someone who she thinks is a prophet, now turns the subject off of herself onto the difference between the Jews and the Samaritans. Don't want to talk about my sin, but let's argue about who's right when it comes to things of God. You guys worship on that mountain over in Jerusalem, Mount Zion, and we worship here on Mount Gerizim, and I think we're right, and you're wrong. It's interesting. And what I want you to see today is that Jesus reveals what is important for true worship. Now, all around the world, there are people that worship all kinds of gods, and they have all kinds of ideas about who he is and what is required by him and how to worship. We believe that the basics of worship are found in the Bible. And Jesus reveals to us some things that we're going to see as he responds to this woman about the proper way to worship. Look at what Jesus says next. John 4, verse 21 Woman, replied Jesus, believe me, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come, listen to this, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, the first thing I want you to think about here as we draw out of this passage is what true worship is not. One thing that hit me as I was studying, perhaps Jesus had to go through Samaria because he wanted this story in the Bible. And he wanted this woman to talk to him. And he wanted these questions that she was going to bring forth to be mentioned in the Bible. And the first thing I want you to see is, is where we worship. What true worship is not about is where we worship. Jesus said, not on this mountain, not on that mountain. Those things are not important. They worshiped on the Mount Gerizim at their temple. The Jews worshiped in Jerusalem on Mount Zion at their temple. Jesus saying all that's not important. In fact, if you were Jewish, you were required, if you lived within 20 miles of the temple, three times a year you had to come for special worship feast, and you had to be there, and you had to bring offerings and make sacrifices there at the temple. Three times a day, you had to bow in prayer at specific times. And most of the time, if you lived close, you went to the temple to bow and pray. You know what's interesting? In A.D. 70, within 
less than a generation of Jesus' death, that temple was totally destroyed except for one wall left in Jerusalem. They could no longer go to that place. Jesus said, a time is coming when you ain't going to worship on this mountain or that mountain. That's not the important thing, is where we worship. Secondly, who worships with us? That's not the important thing. Think about it. This is a Samaritan, and she's a woman. And Jesus is inviting her into this new worship. You know, Samaritans and Jews would never worship together. But Jesus is inviting her. And not only does it matter about nationality, it doesn't matter about skin color, it doesn't matter whether you're male or female, it doesn't matter what age you are, uh, Jesus invites everyone into his worship. It's not about when we worship. Jesus would give further teachings on that, along with the apostles would later talk about that. Uh, uh, it's not about the day that we worship. You know, in the Jewish um, uh, religion, the, the Sabbath, Sabbat in the Hebrew, was Saturday. And they kept that day sacred and holy, and you had to do nothing, and they had all kinds of laws about what you couldn't do on the Sabbath. And it became a burden for the people. And they even had certain times when they had to pray another form of worship. But in the New Testament, Jesus set everybody free from that. Now the church began in the early days to worship every day. Eventually they settled on Sunday as the day for worship. That was the day Jesus was raised from the dead. But that's not the only day that you worship. And you didn't have to worship on Sunday. That's just when the church generally met. There were no prescribed days or no prescribed prayer times. Jesus said the Sabbath was not made for man. Not, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. Listen to what the Apostle Paul would later write uh, about worship in Colossians chapter 2. Verse 16, For do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or what you drink. He's getting into all these Jewish laws that they had about certain foods they couldn't eat or drink. Or with regard to a religious festival, he's talking about those feasts that they had to uh, go to. Or a new moon celebration, they would have, every time there was a new moon, they would have a special celebration they had to attend. Or a Sabbath day. He's saying it's not about the day. It's about worshiping him. He goes on to say these are a shadow of the things that are to come. The reality is found in Christ. So when we come to worship, it's not about where or, or who we're worshiping with or when we worship. It's about Christ. He has to be the center of of our worship. Here's what is important for true worship. I want to read verse 23 again. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Listen, that's what God wants. 
is, is true worshipers. So what is important for true worship? Those who really love God. Those who really care about God. Remember, Jesus said the most important commandment of God is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And we can worship God in all kinds of ways. Listen, we worship here today. At least I did. I don't know about the rest of you. I was focused on God. But we worshiped. It was good worship here today. And worship is not just singing. Worship can be singing Remember, it's expressing love to God. How many ways can you express your love to God? It's singing, and it's praying to God, and it's lifting your hands and your head to God, and it's reading God's Word and studying His Word and listening to teaching about His Word and serving and even fasting, and there are other things that you can do. Anytime you do something to express your love for God, you are worshiping God. And it's doing all those things. And it's having a balance among those things. And you can do it by yourself, or you can do it in a gathering. I think God wants us to do it both ways. He wants us together. In Hebrews 10, 25, it says, Don't forsake the meeting together. Listen to some of these scriptures about worship. Psalm 20, verse 5. May we shout for joy over your victory. Lift up banners in the name of God. Psalm 33, 3, sing a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. Psalm 47, 1, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. Psalm 100, verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Praise his name. Psalm 134, 2, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. I love Psalm 150. It's the last one. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with the timbrel. And dancing. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We don't do a lot of dancing. Although somebody called me out the other day and said, You know, when you sing, you sway? And I do. I've become conscious of that. I can't help it. We sing the old hymns in the first service, and I find myself doing this. Sometimes when I'm preaching, I find myself doing this. I'm finding myself doing this right now. I'm doing it for you, God. I'm swaying for Jesus. Ephesians 5.19 in the New Testament. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Listen to that verse. Sing, that's a verbal thing, but also make music in your heart. It's not just about singing. Something's got to be going on in here when we worship. We make music in our heart. We're expressing our love to God, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? One time some 
followers of Jesus were praising him. And the, the Jewish leaders got on to Jesus. Why do you let them do that? Why do you let them praise you? Well, he's God. They should have been praising him. But listen to what Jesus said. Luke 19, 40. Jesus said, I tell you, if they keep quiet, these stones will cry out. Listen, if they're not people of God worshiping Jesus all the time, we're going to hear the rocks start to sing. And when you hear the rocks start to sing, you know the world is going to hell. Jesus wants us to worship. He wants us to be worshipers. And listen, coming into a church and sitting in a pew does not make you a worshiper any more than going into a garage makes you an auto mechanic. Something's got to be going on in the heart, in the spirit, to be a worshiper. And that's what Jesus begins to talk about. We worship the Father. See, what is important for true worship is that we worship the Father. That shows the kind of relationship that we are to have with God, where He is our Father, that we love Him. Paul said in Galatians uh, 4, 6, we could call Him Abba. That's an Aramaic word. It means Papa or Daddy. It's a term of endearment. We are to be close to God. We worship the Father. Now, if you didn't have a good relationship with your Father, don't judge God by that relationship. God is the ultimate Father. We are to judge earthly fathers by God. And none of us live up to it. But God is the ultimate Father. And He is, we are to come to Him as a child coming to His Father. And we lift Him up and and we praise Him. And Jesus said, I and the Father are one. When we worship the Father, we are worshiping Jesus and God. Secondly, Jesus said we worship in spirit. You see, worshiping God is a spiritual act. The Bible says God is spirit. He is a spiritual being. In John chapter 3, Jesus likened the spirit to the wind. Now you think about the wind for just a minute. Can anybody get a handful of wind? No. We can't grab it. We can't touch it. We can feel it. We can see the results of the wind. All those branches laying in your yard, you know, you, you, you see the results. We can, we can feel God. We can feel the Spirit. We can, we can see the results of what the Spirit does. But God is spirit. He's like the wind. We can experience God. You know, in the Bible, back in Genesis chapter 2, when God created man, it says, He breathed the breath of life into man. Now, in the Hebrew language that was originally written in, the word breathe and the word spirit are the same word in Hebrew. He breathed the spirit of life in the man. I want you to think for a minute. This illustration may help you. Say this is your body, this glove is your body. Without the spirit, it's lifeless. But God took that human and he put the spirit into it 
And when I put my hand into this glove, the glove comes to life. The glove can then go and do things and work. When God put His Spirit into us, our, our bodies came to life. And we became something that God could use for His glory. The Spirit gives us life. So we have this Spirit in us. But not only that, when we come to Jesus and place our faith in Him, the Bible says when we are baptized, we receive the Holy Spirit. So we not only have our Spirit, but we have God's Spirit living inside of us to work with us and to guide us. I want you to listen to what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit? You think about you. Somebody, somebody, some, anybody ever have somebody look at them and say, I know what you're thinking. And they tell you, and they're totally wrong. Okay? That's because they're not your spirit. Your spirit knows what you're thinking. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has given us freely. We can begin to understand the thoughts of God as we have His Spirit inside of us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with, spiritual, with, with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. And it goes on to say here, down at the bottom of that, that chapter, but we have the mind of Christ. Through the Spirit, we begin to know Christ and think like Christ. And we have His mind working with our spirit together. And it leads us and it guides us. You remember in John 3, we talked just a couple of weeks ago, that Jesus said you must be born again. Born of water and spirit. So when we are born again, when we are baptized, we believed in Jesus, we repented of sin, we are born again and we receive that spirit and we become this new person with God's spirit living inside of us. Jesus said in John 14, 20, I am in the Father, you are in me and I am in you. When we receive Christ, we get this spirit and it's me and you uh, it's you and God and Jesus all wrapped up together in that spirit living inside of you. I like what Blaise Pascal, the 17th century philosopher, said. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person, and it can never be filled by any created thing. It can only be filled by God, made known through Jesus Christ. See, we all got this God-shaped hole in our heart. And the only thing that can fill that is the Spirit of God through our knowledge of Jesus Christ. So we worship in spirit. Lastly, he said, worship in truth. Truth comes to us through God's Word. 
Now, God's Word is expressed to us in two ways. We have the Bible. Jesus said in John 17, 17, your word is truth. He's speaking to God. Truth also comes to us through Jesus Christ. The Bible says Jesus is truth. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So we have, we have this Jesus, we have this Bible, and together they bring to us the truth of God. In John 1, chapter 1, it said the Word was with God and the Word was God and the Word became flesh. That's Jesus Christ. And so we have this Jesus and He is the way to the Father. And that's the truth. That's what the Bible teaches us. So we worship the Father with the Spirit and with the truth that Jesus is is God in the flesh, and that He is our Savior. And it's only through our faith in Him that our sins are forgiven so we can be restored into a right relationship with God. Now, I want you to listen to what the Samaritan woman said to Jesus after He told her about this worshiping in spirit and truth. Verse 25, the woman said, I know that the Messiah called the Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. You know what she did? She ran back to town and she told everybody. She said, I met this guy and he told me about all my sin. And she brought a whole crowd out. And Jesus wound up staying there. Remember, some of the disciples wanted to destroy the people of Samaria and call fire down from heaven. And Jesus is teaching them for two days, and it says many of them believed. Their sins were forgiven. They were restored into the right relationship with God. No longer did they have to worry about where they worshipped or who they worshipped with. They worshipped the Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's the message of Christ. It's called the gospel. It's good news because he forgives our sins and gives us a clear path to God. And here's our connection today. God the Father seeks worshipers who express their love for him regularly in spirit and in truth. Why are you here? Why did you come here today? Are you coming to worship the Father in spirit and in truth? There's a wonderful story. Back in the 1800s, Great Britain overtook parts of India and ruled over them. And there was a Maharaja in India, an Indian prince, who was 11 years old, and he loved... Queen Victoria of England and he wanted to present her a gift and so he went to visit and he brought her the Kahur diamond now some of you ladies in here might be blessed to have a pretty good sized diamond maybe three or four carats on your finger this diamond is 105 carats okay it's a big old mama okay one of the one of the largest diamonds cut diamonds on record in the world. 
And he presented that at 11 years old. He presented that to her as a gift. Now this Maharaja, this prince, he grew up and he went to visit Queen Victoria later when he was a grown man. And he asked the queen, he said, can I see the diamond that I gave you all those years ago? And she brought it out and showed it to him. And he picked it up, and this is what he said. Your majesty, I gave you this jewel when I was a child, too young to know what I was doing. I want to give it to you again in the fullness of my strength, with all my heart and affection and gratitude, now and forever, fully realizing what I do. Now, I want you to think about something for just a minute. Many of you came to know Jesus when you were a child. But when you come to worship, when you worship in spirit, you don't have any physical things to give him. All you have to give him is your heart. But as you grow older and you mature in your faith, you can come to him once again and say, I'm fully aware of what I'm doing. I give you my heart. When you do that, then you're going to know what it is to worship God. And you have that opportunity every time you worship to present to God your heart because you know the truth and you have the Spirit of God living in you. So you worship in spirit and truth. This God who loves you like a good father should. God, we thank you today for worship. Lord, for the opportunity we have to express our love to you. And we know, Lord, it puts a smile on your face when we do. When we worship in spirit and truth. And that you drink it in. And Lord, so as we come today, we are grateful for the opportunity you've given us to have our sins forgiven. And you sent your son to die on a cross for us. Because of that, you and Jesus, you are worthy of our praise. And so as we, as we uh, close out this service today, we want to sing one more song to you. And it's my prayer that you'll sing this like you've never sung it before and that you'll mean it and that you'll bring your heart into play as you worship and you offer yourself to Jesus as Lord and Savior. In his great name, we pray and praise.